So I was speaking about a verse earlier. I want to continue from there. In Job, in chapter 36, and verse 5. God is almighty, but he doesn't despise anyone. So we must remember that the closer we come to God, we stop despising people. People don't agree with us, that's fine. But we don't despise them. See, I look at it like this. If God is here, and the devil is here, God doesn't despise anyone. The devil despises everybody. And all of us are somewhere in between. If you're like God, you won't despise anybody. The closer you get to God the less and less you despise them. We start off our our Adamic life despising a lot of people we don't agree with or some other reason. But the closer we get to God, we disagree with people. That's different. I'll disagree with people all my life. I disagree with more than 90% of the human race because of their false religions. I disagree with almost 90% of Christians because their Babylonian practices. But We don't despise anyone. There's a difference between despising and disagreeing. God disagrees with 99% of people in the world, but he doesn't despise anyone. So differentiate between disagreeing and despising. God despises no one. The devil despises everyone. And all of us are in between. And the closer we come to God, the less and less we will despise people. And probably the more and more we will disagree with them because they are not seeking to follow the Lord. So that's just in mentioning that. We were speaking more about husband-wife relationship in the first part of the the first session. I want to speak a little more now. The second part of our marriage is when we have children. First we get married and we need to establish a good relationship as husband and wife. That's why we begin because then we set a good example for the children. Then when children come, it's very important See, I look at it like this. For the first one or two years of our, as children, they don't remember much. They won't even remember father and mother fighting with each other. And thank God for that short period, the first part of their life where children don't remember. But once the children become three or four years old, they begin to remember what they see. And they'll remember it all their life father and mother yelling at each other, fighting and all types of things. So it seems to me, this is how I have believed and this is how I have taught, that God gives us a little window right at the beginning of our married life where you have a couple of years for husband and wife to learn to live together in peace. Very, very important. And then after that, you have to be an example. Because children learn by example. How do they learn a language, for example? They learn by listening to their parents, or if they have older siblings. If father and mother never talk to each other, the child will never learn the language. Children are learning by observation and by listening. And they are listening to everything that you say to each other. 
And remember this, my dear brothers and sisters, and all who are listening online, that your children are learning from everything that they see in you. So, I've heard people say that, well, children are different. And that's why some children turn out well and some children turn out badly. No. Every child is a child of Adam. And they all go astray from childhood. Let me read you a verse in Psalm 58. See, human... uh, Let me come to that. In Psalm 58 it says in verse 3, the wicked, all human beings, we saw that in Romans chapter 3, we are all deceitful and wicked. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They tell lies and go astray from birth. Who is that? Every single child born of Adam, which is all of us and all our children, they go astray, they are estranged from God from the womb. They tell lies from birth. They pretend that they are in pain when they are not in pain because they just want mommy to pick pick them up, that's all. They are just fooling their mother because they know if I cry, mommy will pick, pick me up. So they pretend they are in pain and cry. This deception right from birth And so, all children are like that. Then how is it that some children turn out respectful, respectful to older people, obedient, well-behaved, and some children turn out rowdy and arrogant and uh, uncontrollable? Why is the difference when they're all born the same way? I'll tell you what I've observed in all my 60 years as a believer, it depends 100% on the parents. Because I've had the opportunity now to watch children in 50, 60 churches in different, different places. And I've seen one observation, I'm speaking from CFC churches, which is where I've moved around in the last 45 years. I found, this is almost universally true, I've seen it in Bangalore, first of all, where I've been most of the time, that all the children in one family will be well-behaved. And all the children in another family will be rude and rough and ill-behaved. Why is that? I'm telling you, it's almost a rule I can make out. It's 100% got to do with the parents. And if you look around and observe, you'll see that yourself. I've seen it everywhere. All the children in one family are very well behaved because their parents are very strict with them. And from the very from day one, from the they teach them obedience to the parents, speak respectfully to older people, and don't fight with each other. All that. And the others, the, they let the children just grow up as they like. They say, "Oh, darling, no, don't do that," and they talk like that. They'll never learn to respect people. I've seen that in many, many cases. And I've seen that sometimes in Hindus, non-Christians, they have brought up their children in a very good way. They are respectful 
and they are better behaved than the children of many Christians. So it does not got to do with religion. It's got to do with how strict the parents are with their children. And it's a wonderful testimony for a Christian parents to have children who are well behaved. And that should be the passion. I say passion, not just a desire. Passion means a tremendous burning desire. That should be the burning desire of every single one of us. That from earliest childhood, they must be well behaved and if they aren't, well, they'll do wrong things and we punish them. And we have scripture to support it. Let me show you first of all in Proverbs. Since our subject is marriage and the family, we've spoken about husband and wife, children are the next thing. It says in the book of Proverbs chapter 22, and this is God's word, and the Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. Have you read that verse in Romans chapter 3? Let God be true and every man a liar. Keep that in mind when you read God's word. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, the way you want him to grow up. And as he grows old, he will not depart from it. That is a law. It's like the law of gravity. You throw something up, it will come down in any part of the world. If a Hindu or a Muslim or a Christian throws a ball up, it will come down. It's a law. And I believe this law applies even to non-Christians. Let that non-Christian person who does not know Jesus Christ train up his child in respectful behavior. When he's old, he will be better than the child of a Christian who does not follow that rule. Train up a child in the way he should go And here is the promise of God. See, in many promises, there's man's part and God's part. If you believe, you have everlasting life. There's man's part and God's part. Learn from me and you shall find rest for your souls. I do my part to learn from him. I find rest for my soul. That's his promise. All promises are like that. There's man's part and God's part. If I do my part, God will definitely do his part. And if it does not work out like that, for example, a man says, well, I believe and I didn't get eternal life, then you didn't believe properly. You can't say God failed and did not give you eternal life. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You say you're not saved. That means you did not believe properly. Because belief is not just a matter of the head. It's a commitment, a commitment from the heart to the Lord. That is real faith. So in the same way, here is man's part and God's part. What is the parent's part? Train up a child in the way you want him to go. I remember in many, many years ago in CFC Bangalore, I saw a small boy speaking rudely to his father. After the meeting was over, I called the father and I said, My dear brother, he was a member of the church. Please be careful with this boy. He will grow up to be a rebel if you are lenient with him. I can see that. He's only four or five years old now, but I can see the beginnings of it. If you train him in the way he should go, when he's old, he will not depart from it. That boy is now 30 years old, wayward, never comes to the church. 
The father comes, but he never listened to me. He thought, Brother Zach is so strict. Okay. Well, I was strict with my own kids. So I was not telling him to do something which I did not do with my... I was very, very strict with my children. Because I believe what God's word says. I wanted my children to go a particular way. And I said, okay, Lord, I'll do my part. You do your part. I will train up in the way he should go. You promise me that he will not depart from when he's old. He will not depart from it. That's God's part. Or further down it says in verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Which child? Any child. Any child of Adam. Hindu, Muslim, Christian, atheist child. Foolishness is bound up in their heart. But the rod of discipline will remove it far from him. It's interesting, there's a connection between the bottom and the heart. You hit the bottom and the heart gets affected. There's something there. The rod of discipline will remove foolishness far from him. So here's man's part again. The rod of discipline. God says he'll do his part and remove foolishness far from him. So we don't want foolishness in any of our children. And that's why discipline is a very, very important part. Now people may say, well, that's just Old Testament. Okay, we'll go to the New Testament. In Hebrews in chapter, uh, first of all, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, it says here, verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. How does a father provoke his child to anger? By getting angry himself. Getting upset. Getting upset with a child for doing something which the father and mother never trained that child to do it right. So, don't provoke your children to anger. So what should the father and mother do? Especially the father. He should do what the Bible says. Judge himself. Instead of getting angry with the child. Lord, help me to judge myself and see where I went wrong. That my child is like this. Don't don't make it angry with the child. Let me judge myself. I've said this even to parents who came to CFC after their children were grown up and had left the church, left their home. And their children were wayward. And I said, they came to me and said, Brother Jack, is there any hope for us? We never knew all these things when our children were small. And they went astray. I said, I'll tell you, there's hope for everyone. As long as a person is alive, there's hope. It's only when a person has gone into the grave we say there's no hope. I don't care if a person is 60 years old, there's hope. A person is 80 years old, there's hope. So as long as your children are alive, it doesn't matter how much they've gone astray, there is hope. If I've told these parents who are now, uh, children are away from the home, I say, I'll give you a prescription. Take this medicine every day or more than once a day. Both of you, husband and father and mother, their children are not at home, they've gone astray. Kneel down every single day and spend at least five minutes. Is that too much? Before the Lord, confess your sin every day. Lord, the blame is 100% ours. We failed to bring up that child properly. I tell you, God will be delighted when he hears such a confession, which is an honest confession. 
I'll tell you why. Because the nature of man from the beginning has been to put the blame on somebody else. The school, oh the school is so bad. They get bad friends at school. I tell you it's got nothing to do with the school. Your child can be in the worst school of all. I've seen this. I've seen God-fearing parents bring up their children in a godless atmosphere and their children are very well behaved. It's got nothing to do with the school. Man's tendency, right from the time when God asked Adam, did you eat of that tree? What does he do? He points the finger at somebody else. It's not me, Lord. It's, it's the school. It's his friends. It's my wife. I like to see a painting of man pointing his finger at his wife or at somebody else. It's not me there. And as long as you say that, God put them out of paradise. That's not the solution. Now you see another example of a person who entered paradise, the thief on the cross. Oh, his crime was much worse than Adam's. Adam just ate a fruit. This man had murdered, stolen for years. But he did one thing on the cross. Lord, I'm guilty. I'm the sinner. And Jesus said, really? <laughs> You're ready for paradise. Come with me to paradise. See the contrast between a, a man who lived in such a beautiful world in Eden pointed a finger at somebody else and was thrown out of paradise. Another person who pointed the finger at himself and entered paradise. Have we learned a lesson there? Never blame somebody else. Take the blame yourself. Lord, it's me. It's me. So, fathers, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now notice here the emphasis is not on the parents. In all the other areas you find similar. First it says wives, Ephesians 5.22, husbands, verse 25. Servants, masters, in verse chapter 6, verse 5 to 9. But when it comes to children and parents, it says children, verse 1, obey your parents. And we think the next thing should be parents, this is what you should do. No, not parents, fathers. The scripture is very, very careful in what it says. And you see, that's that's not a mistake because if you go to Colossians 3, verse 20 and 21, it's the same thing. Children, be obedient to parents. And then it doesn't say parents. It says fathers, don't exasperate your children. So coming back to Ephesians 6, that responsibility is squarely on the shoulders of the father. If the father is a dead loss and irresponsible, like Timothy's father. Timothy had a father who was a Greek, probably a godless businessman who was more interested in making money, no interest in his son. <clears throat> but he had a God-fearing mother. And her name is Eunike. And you know what she did? She came to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry that I disobeyed you and married a non-Christian forgive me. But where I failed in my marriage as a wife, 
I married without seeking your will. I married an unbeliever. I'm going to make up by bringing up my son in a godly way. And did she make up? Boy, she certainly did. Single-handedly. Without the help of the father. Even though the Bible says fathers are supposed to bring up their children in the fear of God. Because the father was irresponsible, the mother took up that responsibility. It's like if a, you know, usually it's the father who goes to work and earns the income. But supposing a father is sick and paralyzed, what does the family do? Does the family starve? No, the mother will gird up her loins and go to work. Ah, that's sensible. Say, okay, the father can't work, he's an invalid, he's at home lying in bed. The mother goes to work and does the job and brings up the family. How many women there are who have brought up their children when the father had died or the father is sick? They've done a great job. That's what Timothy's mother did. She didn't quote Ephesians 6 and say, oh, it's the father's responsibility. No, my father is failing, so the mother does it. And what a fantastic job she did single-handedly that by the time Timothy was 20 years old, the great apostle Paul, who had tremendous discernment, God had given Paul great discernment. He could meet a person and in a short time find out where he stood spiritually. Otherwise he couldn't have been an apostle. A true apostle needs a lot of discernment because he's dealing with a lot of people and he doesn't spend long in a place and so he needs discernment. In a very short time, Paul discerned. I don't know who this young guy is. Somebody told him the name is Timothy. Okay, I've been observing him for two or three days and I see this guy is different. He's not like other 20-year-olds. I want him to be on my team. And he was, Paul says, after observing him for about 20 years in his team, he says, I don't have anybody on my team like Timothy. All are seeking their own, even among my co-workers. But Timothy selflessly sought the things of Christ and denied himself. Where did he learn that? He learned that from a God-fearing mother who had by mistake married an unbeliever and repented so deeply that she said, I'm going to make up by bringing up my son in a godly way. A mother can do it single-handedly. So if a mother can do it single-handedly, it produces a son who was fit to be on Paul's team. Boy, I would have been tremendously honored if my son could have been selected to be on Paul's apostolic team, you should be tremendously honored if your son was selected by Paul to be on his team. And remember, that was done by one single mother. So there's no excuse. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even if you're a single mother, when he is old, he will not depart from it. God kept that promise for Timothy's mother. So it can be true for anybody. So never Say children are different. That's an easy way of making an excuse and not taking the blame yourself. I told you, man has got the, this habit right from day one of saying, it's not my fault, children are different. Point the finger at somebody else. Why not point the finger at oneself like the thief on the cross and say, children are all the same. They all go astray from birth. But I was not serious as a mother. I was not serious as a father. It's very, very important, particularly in the church when we talk about the new covenant very important is the testimony of our children. People come to our church and they want to see 
You know, newcomers come to the church and say, how do the children here behave? They'll tell me a lot about their parents. I don't need to know who the parents are. I just watch the children and I know what the parents are like. And I've seen that through 45 years of observing CFC churches. It's universally true in every country and I've seen children in different countries. I've seen, for example, children who never know how to speak respectfully to older people, leave alone their parents. Well, you can't blame them. Somebody has to teach them. To teach them that every human being is to be respected. In India, it's a very common thing for beggars to come to the gate and knock and uh, coming asking for food or a little bit of money. And many homes, the parents, the people living in their home will be very rude to them and say, get out, we, we have no time for you. So I taught my children, if you ever speak rudely to any human being, I don't care who it is, even if it's a beggar on the street, you go after him and say, sir, I'm sorry. Call him sir. He may be poor, he may be a beggar, maybe he's had unfortunate events in his life which made him a beggar. But he's a human being made in the image of God. And you cannot speak rudely to another human being. I don't care who he is. So teach. let's teach our children always, always to speak respectfully. And when do you start? Age one. Even you think they don't understand anything? They understand a lot. I'll tell you something that I saw in a child. One year old. That child went up to the foot of the stairs. It is dangerous for that child to go up those stairs. And as it was climbing up the stairs, the father or mother, I don't know who it was, said no. I was amazed how early a child learns to understand the meaning of the word no. It stopped. It did not go. The next day, I saw that child going to the same foot of the stairs and looking around to see if anybody was watching. Where did the child learn that? That sneaky thing if my parents are not watching, nobody's there to say no, I'll go up. I saw something that day. Children are smarter than you think. At age one, they understand the word no. Your child understands the word no at the age one. And if you have not taught it no to things they should not touch or do, you're going to have a problem on your hands by the time they are six or seven years old. I'll tell you that. And then it'll be very difficult. You see these trees. You see a tree grown up crooked. And it's like that forever. I've seen trees like that. If somebody had straightened that plant when it was just beginning to grow, when it was just a month old, just come out of the ground, and somebody had tied it down straight, it would have grown straight. But now it is like this, it's too late to turn it. It's too late to straighten it now, it'll break the tree. There's a lesson there. Whenever you see a crooked tree, you see, understand why some children are straight. Don't say, well, some trees are like that. No, somebody had to straighten it up. 
And if that tree was in your garden, it would have been straight if you had straightened it up when it was a plant. That's the lesson here. Fathers, bring up your children in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Two things. Instruction, that is the word of God. From earliest opportunity we have, we must teach our children to pray. Even when they don't know what prayer is, teach them to fold their hands and join and pray in whatever words, even if they mumble something, at least they see the others praying at the table, they must learn to join with you in prayer, at least say Amen. That's another good word they can learn early in life. And and we must teach them the word of God as early as possible. Even before they can read properly, if they can see, they can see pictures. What I did with my children was get them a picture story Bible and said, read it. And as soon as they could read, you know, picture story Bibles are so attractive for children. It's like the comics that others read. And then the way to encourage them in that is by asking them questions. What did you read today? Can you tell me something you read today? And then I can ask them a question and see whether they really understood it. And like that, we challenge them to get to know the Bible from the earliest possible age. I'm telling you exactly what I did. And I was very keen that by the time my children were, you know, my all my boys were 18 years old when they went to college and they left home. And um, I knew that I'd have them for 18 years at home. And if I did not do what I should do in that year, in those years, they would go astray. So, I decided that before they leave home, they must all be born again, they must all be baptized, and they must be grounded in the scriptures, in the truths of scripture. They don't have to know the whole Bible, but they must be grounded in the truths of scripture, and they must have the habit of reading God's word. And I'm very happy that it turned out like that. But there were certain things I was very strict with. I said, you must always respectfully speak to older people respectfully. First of all, to your parents, never speak rudely to dad or mom. If you do, ask forgiveness immediately. I have sometimes asked them to stop that important work you're doing. It doesn't matter if you don't finish your homework. This is your homework. Go and ask forgiveness from mommy for speaking rudely to her. Right now, your homework can wait. Nothing is more important than teaching them to immediately ask forgiveness. Let them get into that habit. I must not speak rudely to anyone older than me. Or in the church, if you hear they're speaking rudely to some brother who's older than them, pull them up. Very, very important. See, if we are strict in these things, our children will have a good testimony and others who come to the church will say, hey, this is a good church. I see how the children are behaved. You can bring a very bad name to RLCF by the way you bring up your children. And God will hold you responsible. Sure. And God will appreciate you and commend you if you have brought up your children in such a way that strangers will come in and say, boy, we really appreciate seeing the way the children here behave. That's the first thing they see. They see how the children behave, how they speak to them, and how they conduct themselves, when, the, when not when the meeting is going on, but in between the meetings. That's the time you see what children are really like. 
And don't ever say children are different. It's not true. All children are the same. It's the parents who determine which way they bring them up. It says in Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 7. This is New Testament, you know, not just in Proverbs. Hebrews 12, 7. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. What son is there whom his father does not discipline? Today I would say there are thousands of sons like that, unfortunately. But in those days they were saying, what son is there whose father does not discipline? Imagine the Holy Spirit saying, is there a child who the father does not discipline? Can you imagine Christian children who the parents don't discipline? If you are without discipline, here is a child without discipline, then we say that is not your own child. That must be an illegitimate child. A child that was born out of wedlock. That's what the Bible says. A wayward child is an illegitimate child. Would you like your child to be considered a child that was born out of marriage? That's what it says here. If you are without discipline, of which all true children are partakers, then your children are illegitimate and not true sons. So, there we see here, he says, our fathers disciplined us, verse 10, for a short time it seemed best to them. And he's taking that as an example to submit to our father's discipline, to our heavenly father's discipline. Verse 9, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. Again, the emphasis is on the father. So, we have to learn from all these things that in the new covenant, when Jesus said this is the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant the way we bring up our children is very, very, very important. And I don't believe I have overemphasized it. I do not blame any child who goes astray. I say that the blame is not 99%, but 100% with the parents. If they are indisciplined, if they go astray, if they are lost. In fact, so much so that the Bible says this in 1 Timothy uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 3 where Paul says to Timothy when you appoint an elder make sure 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4 that he is one who can manage his own family well 1 Timothy 3 4 keeping his children under control with all dignity let that expression ring in your mind never forget that expression Keeping my children under control with all dignity. Because if a man does not know how to manage his own family, how in the world can he be an elder in a church? He can't bring up four or five children in his own home. How in the world will he look after a church with 40, 50 people? That's deception. I mean, if a man cannot control four or five Soldiers in the army, how can he control 50? It's a very logical argument that the, that the Holy Spirit uses here. So it's a fundamental requirement for an elder, which shows how much, not in the Old Testament, I told you Moses' children and Samuel's children were all wayward, but it was not a requirement in the Old Covenant because they did not have the Holy Spirit within. But now that we have the Holy Spirit within, it's a fundamental requirement 
to bring up our children in a godly way. Even if you are not an elder, you are a good testimony in the church. And in Titus, it goes even further. When Paul tells Titus, I have asked you to appoint elders in Crete. He says here, Titus chapter 1 verse 5, I left you in Crete so that you can appoint elders in every city. And what are the conditions for an elder? Not Bible knowledge, not ability to preach, which we would think is important. No, number one, his relationship with his wife. Husband and wife means he's not a divorcee. A divorcee is one who's got two wives. He married one, chucked that one, and married a second one. No, unfit to be an elder. No divorcee is fit to be an elder. And yet today Christendom is full of pastors who are divorced. It's a sad thing. Secondly, next condition of eldership is again not Bible teaching ability. Having children who are believers. Boy, the standard is even higher there. Not accused of wild behavior. Anybody whose children are of Titus, if you see somebody's children are behaving wildly, don't ever appoint him as an elder. They must not be accused by others of a rebellious spirit. So you see the tremendous importance given to children and I believe this has not been emphasized sufficiently just like we preach overcoming sin, not emphasized in other churches. There are a number of things we preach in CFC which are not emphasized in other churches, but yet it's in the Bible. The submission of wives to the husbands is not emphasized in other churches enough, but it's in the scriptures. So these are things that we must take very, very seriously. There are a number of questions here which I won't have time to go through now. We have another session for it. But I want to say something here that, you know, sometimes people ask a question which afterwards they want to quote me to their husband or wife saying, see, Brother Zach said this. I'm very careful never, never to answer such questions because I can sense from the question they want some fuel for a fire they want to start a fire in their home and I'm not going to provide the fuel for that. I can only teach the principles of God's word. And that's what I've tried to do in the last two sessions about husband, wife, and children. Uh, there are. There was one question that we mentioned. Why, is, why didn't Jesus choose any woman to be her disciple? That is God's perfect wisdom. And I'll show you the reason here in 1 Timothy in chapter 2. God created, the Bible says, men and women are equal in God's eyes. But yet, the Lord says, through the Holy Spirit, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. And remember, these are the words of the Holy Spirit. I do not allow a woman to be a teacher. She can teach children, she can teach other women, but she cannot teach in the church where there are men and women together. I do not allow it. Remember the Holy Spirit saying, I do not allow a woman to be a teacher in a church. And yet you see in Christendom, people disobeying that command 
openly. So many people who have big ministries centered around women. Uh, you say, uh, the question sometimes people ask me, how is it then God is blessing their ministry? Are people saved there? I say, yes. And I'll give you an example. There is an Old Testament story in the book of Numbers where God told Moses, I think it's Numbers chapter 20, go and speak to that rock. First time in Exodus 17, God said, hit the rock. Forty years later, when again they needed water, it's as if the Lord saying, remember, you already hit the rock once, which is a picture of the crucifixion of Christ. Christ is to be crucified only once. Don't hit that rock this time. Just speak to it. But Moses was so angry that he took his rod and hit that rock. My question is, did the water flow? Do you remember? It did flow. Did God bless disobedience? Somebody disobeyed God's word? And do you know how many people got water that day? 600,000 men plus women and children. Two million people were blessed when a servant of God disobeyed God. What is it true? It doesn't prove that what Moses did was right. It proves that God loved those two million people so much that he was not going to make them die of thirst just because his servant disobeyed. So two million people can listen to a woman disobeying God's word and they can be blessed. But what did God do with Moses after that? He says, Moses, I blessed the people because I loved them. Now i got to deal with you. I'm going to give you such a severe punishment for disobeying me. It's the worst punishment you can expect. You've been waiting 40 years to enter the land of Canaan. You will not enter Canaan. It's like telling a child, well, we're all going for a long one-day picnic, but you're not going to come. You're going to sit at home the whole day. And that's small compared to the punishment Moses got. You cannot enter the land of Canaan. He was shattered. So does God punish people who disobey his word? Yes. But does he bless the people in spite of his servant's disobedience? Yes. So that's the reason why God blesses even the ministry of many women. It doesn't mean what they do is right. But it says here, I do not allow women to teach or exercise authority over a man. Reason. Here's the reason. Two reasons. Read God's word. Number one, Adam was first created. God did not make the woman and take Adam out of her side. No. God did not make a mistake. He made man. You know, God could have made them at the same time. He made male and female animals, same time. He made male and female fish, same time. But when it came to human beings, who were the crown of his creation, he made them separately. The man first, then the woman, because it is an order that he established in creation. Adam was made first and then Eve. And secondly, here's the second reason, it was not Adam who was deceived. That's the second reason why women are not supposed to teach. Woman was deceived by the devil and fell into sin. But here is what a woman can do and she can be an expert at that. 
bear children and bring them up in a godly way, like Timothy's mother. She couldn't be a Bible teacher herself, but she trained a son who became a fantastic apostle and teacher. That's what a woman can do. You know, one of the great men of God in the in England in the 18th century was a man called John Wesley. He had a brother called Charles Wesley who wrote about 7,000 hymns. We sing many of them. Two brothers made a tremendous difference to the face of England in the 18th century. They lived, I mean, John Wesley preached for over 50 years. He started the Methodist Church and numerous thousands of people were converted through his ministry in England, America, and later on all over the world. And Charles Wesley's songs are being sung even today, 200 years later. But do you know how they became so godly? They had a godly mother. The father was rarely at home. He was a preacher who was going here and there, but completely irresponsible father. But the mother was so, every week she would spend, she had seven or eight children. She had many more, many of them died. But the one she had, every week she'd spend one hour with each child. One hour with each child, teaching them the word of God. And John Wesley never got married. I mean, towards the end of his life he did. But most of his life he was an unmarried man. And he used to tell people, my mother will teach you how a mother should be. He asked his mother to teach the Methodist people how to be a good wife and how to be a good mother. And she's the one who brought brought up these two boys, John Wesley and Charles Wesley, who had such an influence on Christianity that's lasted two, three hundred years till now. It's an amazing example, something like Timothy's mother. So when we say a woman cannot teach, did Susanna Wesley teach? What a tremendous number of people she taught through her children. And how many people were blessed by Timothy's mother through her son. So when it says a woman cannot teach, it's limited to her own ministry. But if she brings up her children, even one child, like Timothy, in a godly way, it's amazing the influence that a woman can have. So in that sense, there's no limit to what God can do. So I want to encourage all of you mothers, you have a great ministry with the children that you have in your home. Make sure that every one of them, don't be happy that one of them is following the Lord. Every single one of them must follow the Lord. And if even one of them is not following the Lord, I encourage you to shed a few tears before God. Weep for them. How would you pray for a child who is dying of cancer in the hospital? Pray like that for a child that's lost from God. I believe that many Parents do not weep enough for their wayward children. We need to weep more and say, Lord, bring them to you. Are any of your children going astray? Please spend some time before God in prayer and weep for them. You'll see miracles in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to respond to your word It's not easy in this evil world to live a godly life as husband and wife. It's not easy in this godless world to bring up children. They contact so many other children in the world and all types of bad habits. Lord, please help the families in this church, every family. 
to bring up their children in a godly way. And even where children are grown up and gone astray, we pray that you will bring them back and put a burden, a burden that will never die, an unceasing burden in the hearts of parents to bring their children back to the fold. into Just like the shepherd went after the lost sheep, please give them their heart, Lord. We want every one of our children to find their way into your kingdom, not just find their way into your kingdom, but to be useful to you here on earth before they leave this king, this earth. Thank you, Father, that you've allowed a church like this to exist, where people can hear the truth and seek to bring up their children in godly ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.